Well, thank you guys so much for, for having me. Um, let, let me open us in a word of prayer. Father, you are uh, so good. You are our God. You are our King, our Heavenly Father. Um, and we just want to thank you, God, for um, gathering us together tonight um, to worship you, to sing praises, to study your word together. And I just ask for each of our hearts um, that as we look into your word tonight, that you would help us to come before it with humility. Um, we just ask for more of you, Lord, and less of us, that you would help us to understand your word, open our eyes for us to see you clearly, um, to see ourselves clearly, and that we would respond to your word in a way that is glorifying to you. We need your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good evening again, everyone. Uh, it's so good to be here. Uh, I'm just really thankful to uh, be able to spend um, some time in a fellowship with you guys tonight. Um, but I'm, I'm actually going to start off our time by giving you uh, maybe a little assignment. Um, and don't worry, it's just something for you guys to think about. It's not a real assignment. But what if I gave you an assignment to interview God? Right? I want you to imagine that you're going to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with God and you get to interview him. What question would you ask God? Maybe you take a minute, you know, if you could ask him, Anything, um, any question at all? Maybe what would be your top three questions for the Lord and why? Maybe you can write them down on your notes, but I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. So what questions, what are the most important questions to ask God? Okay, you don't have to finish writing it down, but maybe you have it in, in mind. Um, and you don't need to share that now, but I, I do wonder, what would you want to know from God? Maybe you want to know something about your life, you know, what you should do in the future, what college or job you're going to have. Um, maybe you want to know about the past, your family history or your future, what your life is going to be like. Or maybe you want to know how to best help others find the cure to cancer and other diseases. Out of all the questions that you guys could think of, which of them do you think is the most important? And I asked you to think of three questions, but if you could maybe narrow it down to one question, what would be the question that you would need to know the answer to? Which one is most important than any, more important than any question that you will ever get at a test at school? You know, for, for myself, I had so many questions for God. I remember growing up and just wanting to ask the Lord so many things. And it's really good to, to have questions. But the Bible teaches us that when it comes to life, we have to ask the right questions. Of all the questions to ask, according to scripture, the most important one is found in passages like the one that we'll be looking at tonight. So we're continuing uh, your study through the book of Psalms. And tonight, we're focusing on Psalm chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there with me? Psalm 15. So Psalm 15, let me go ahead and read our passage, and then we'll go through it together. Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, 
who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So Psalm 15 starts off by asking this important question. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Uh, The word for sojourn here is a word in Hebrew that can mean to stay or to live, to dwell or to abide. It's a picture of someone who is looking for a home, a destination from his or her travels. This word is used for someone who is a newcomer to a place, someone looking for hospitality or seeking refuge and security. And maybe you guys can picture Abraham. Um, You guys remember Abraham? He was called by God to a specific place, right? So he goes and travels and he eventually finds and sojourns in the promised land. God brought him and his family to this new land where he was able to stay. But maybe for you guys, can you imagine having to leave your home? You know, this is a bit of a scary thought, but imagine if there was a a super deadly disease that started here in Torrance. Much worse than COVID. So you have to leave your home. You have to pack up your things and, and just take whatever you can carry with you. And you have to go and live in a faraway country. The only place that is safe. So you and your family end up selling everything buying a van to live in, and you travel to this country hoping to find work and and a way to survive. It's kind of scary to think about, right? But you know that there are people in the U.S. and around the world who actually live that way. And this gives us a picture of our condition as a people. We may not be in that situation now, but if we think about it, spiritually, we are like that. You know, every one of us at some point in our lives are in need of a spiritual home. And this is the problem of humanity. We're on this journey trying to find shelter and a place to belong. You know, some might find temporary things in this world while they're traveling, maybe cool-looking tents or hotels that look kind of like a home. You know, even amazing camper vans or RVs that look like it could supply everything that you need. And maybe some of you guys have done that, right? You've traveled and you've gone camping in in one of those RVs. But it doesn't compare to an actual home with God. You can spend your whole life searching, but there is one place that is safe. That is everything that you could ever need and want. And most of all, the person that you were made for, that you were meant to be with, the only person who will complete you and love you perfectly, and that is God. And and the place that we're looking for is where he is. That is our real home. So whether you know it or not, this is what you were made for. You were made for God to live with him, a, a place where you're always near the father, to be protected by him, to be in his community, his family. So Psalm 15 starts off with this ultimate question, addressed to God about who can live with him, right? This is the ultimate question. Here's the question that is the most important of all. It's asking, who can be 
with God. It's not just asking who can visit Jerusalem or pray in the temple today, but who can live in God's presence in his holy hill? Who is qualified to even stand before him? Who can know God face to face here and now and through all eternity? So in other words, who can go to heaven and live with God forever? And we get that answer in verse two. Look at verse two. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. So who can sojourn or stay with God and dwell in his city? Those who live and walk blamelessly. Those who live perfectly. Those who live rightly. Who live with integrity. I want you to notice it's living blamelessly in both word and deed. Who, Who does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. It's both internal and external integrity. Those who are perfect and holy as God is holy. So what do you guys think? That's the requirement, right? For for you guys to be able to live with God. Who can do that? And basically the, the answer is none of us. Can any of you guys say that you've lived a perfect life? You know, think about the things that you did and said and thought about even just today you know, with your family and with your friends, the things that no one knows about. If you've been in fellowship here at Lighthouse for a while, you know, you've heard this truth over and over that none of us can live up to this standard. We see this in scripture. If, if you just look at the preceding Psalm, uh, Psalm 14, uh, verses two and three, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And then another one, you don't don't have to turn to this, but Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. In other words, we've all rejected God, the good shepherd, and have gotten lost. And then lastly, Romans 3, 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So pretty much every study that we do in the Bible reminds us that we can't do it. The truth is we can never meet the demands, the, the requirements of Psalm 15. So who can be with God? It requires complete obedience. For myself, you know, I just need to look at my own heart to realize that I can't do this. Right? I am a sinner and you're a sinner so that's it, you know, end of the story, right? So no one can live with God because of our sin. But thankfully, as you know, God made a way. And this is important for us to understand Psalm 15. You know, um, other passages like Ephesians 2, 4 to 5 tell us, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. So because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And because of his resurrection, all of our sins can be forgiven. If we believe and put our trust in him and we follow him. And when we do that, all of our sins and our guilt have been put on Christ and all of his goodness and righteousness are credited to us. 
so that when God looks to us who believe right in Christ, that we make him our king, all he sees in Psalm 15, he sees, you know, in verse two, he sees a person who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth on his heart. So isn't that cool, right? When God looks at you, if you believe in Christ, he sees that you have accomplished um, verses one and two. He sees Christ. And so all of that to say that when we read Psalm 15, we have to know how we can apply this to us, right? We, we have to know how this applies to you. It's if and only if you have faith and you live your life for Christ. Having faith in Christ allows us to live with God. So it's important for us to see that faith, it has to come first. So you have to check your hearts. Do you guys have faith? It's only through Christ and what he's done that we're able to become blameless. So I hope that's clear before we continue with our passage, because I think it's, it's easy to think that, you know, we have to do all of these things, everything that's in this passage. Um, and we try to live up to this list on our own strength. And then we can sojourn with God. And then we can live with him. But we have to know that our righteousness is in Christ, in Christ alone. Okay? It's because of our changed and new hearts that we can live with God. So start there. The first question is, do you know Christ? Is your righteousness in him? Um, and, th- and then if you know him, then we can continue. So if you're new to this, you know, and, and want to know more, please don't hesitate to talk to your, um, your leaders and make sure that you know who Jesus is. And then another important question to ask yourself, what kind of things in your life show that you really do belong to God, that you are living with him, that he is your king. So think about that first, right? Okay, you have faith in God, but what is the proof of that? What does your life look like? If you say that you know God, what does that look like? And the rest of Psalm 15 actually explains what that looks like. What are some of the characteristics of a true follower of God? What should we strive to do so that we are living out verse two. And that brings us to our main idea for tonight. Our main idea is that followers of Jesus must live righteously by lifting up people, lifting up the Lord and lowering self. So lift up people, lift up the Lord, lower yourself. In other words, your relationship with God is shown in the way that you treat people, the way that you treat God, and the way that you treat yourself. It's really simple, my idea for tonight. So hopefully it'll be easy for you guys to remember. So let's take this one part at a time. Let's uh, look at the rest of Psalm 15. Um, I'm actually going to go ahead and read the whole passage again, since it's so short. But try to pay attention to what a life with God should look like, okay? So, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent, who shall dwell on your holy hill, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, and whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Again, the the first two verses, 
you know, it's, here's the question and a summary to that answer. And then starting in verse three, it starts to unpack, is, unpack it for us. It expands on verse two and gives us examples of what it means to walk blamelessly, to do what is right and to speak truth in our hearts. So what does it mean to live righteously? What does it mean to be a follower of God who lives with him? Our first point for tonight, followers of God must live righteously by lifting up people. You you have to lift up people. In other words, don't sin against others. Don't sin against others. Again, verse three, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Does this describe how you deal with others? Think of the way that you treat your family, your friends, every person that you meet. I mean, really think about how you talk about them, how you interact and deal with people. This isn't just about how you talk with them in person when you're face-to-face, but how do you treat people when you're not around them? Do you lift them up or do you sin against them? Here are some specific things that um, we shouldn't do. We shouldn't slander. To slander someone is to backbite or say bad things about people behind their backs. The uh, Hebrew word for slander here is actually related to the word for leg or foot, which is weird, right? I mean, you slander with your mouth, not with your feet. But the, the idea here is that with your foot, you go around and you spy, you, you spy things out, and you spread the word around. The follower of God should be careful with the way we do that, with his, his or her words. For yourself, do you speak poorly about people? If there's someone that you don't like at school, maybe they treated you badly, you know, they're the ones who started talking about you, right? They're just not nice, or maybe they're just so different from you. You don't like the way they look or the way they dress. They're outsiders. There's just something about them that annoy you. Do you treat them poorly and and look down on them? Or do you think and speak well of them to lift them up in your conversations? You can ask yourself, you know, when you think about the people that God has allowed in your life, your family and your relatives, your classmates, your, your brothers and sisters here at church, You know, every person in your life, the ones who are easy to love, as well as others that are not so easy, do you focus on the the worst things about them? Do you look down on them and focus on the worst traits? Or do you treat them with love and respect, regardless of how they treat you? And maybe maybe another way to think about it, how are your, your words affecting others? Can you think of specific ways that your words in person or maybe social media that you can, can you think of ways that it's actually building up people? Are your words helping to turn people toward Jesus or away from him? This is really important for us to think about because gossip and slander, these are dangerous things. We think, oh, it's it's nothing. It's just words, right? But words can harden people's hearts to God And the gospel, it has hurt churches and damaged relationships. I've seen it firsthand, you know, and it's harmed the gospel witness of believers. 
And this reminds me of another passage in the Bible. James 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among the members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. That's really strong language. James uses a picture of a forest fire. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. I think living here in SoCal, you've at least heard of, of wildfires, right? You know when the conditions are right, the smallest of sparks can destroy a whole, whole forest. And he's saying, our tongues are like that. Just like fire, when it's uncontrolled, when it's used in the wrong way and in the wrong place, our words can be so destructive. And even back in the day, James knew how dangerous words can be. And so he says later on, James 4, 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And I hope you will learn that young, right? I, I think for, for you guys, even as young as you are, maybe you've, you've been hurt by other people talking. But for you, are you willing to be different, to live according to how God has called you? Similarly, David in Psalm 15 says that the follower of God does no evil to his neighbor, you're supposed to do what is best for them. Again, to lift them up instead of sinning against them and bringing them down. The last phrase, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. That's just to say that the follower of God should be loyal and shouldn't betray his friends. It continues that same idea. To take up a reproach can mean either to, you know, to make allegations or to insult or bring up something that hurts people. So, so we need to be careful about the way we treat others. And if you want to sum it up, this basically goes back to the great commandments, right? You guys know the, the second great commandment? Mark 12, 31 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Along with the first commandment to love God with all that we are, there is no other, greater, other commandment greater than these. It's that important the way you love people, the way you treat each other. So I just want to encourage you guys, you know, love people. Grow in your friendships. Grow in your friendships here. These are your brothers and your sisters. Do you see them as that? Friendship and love and loyalty are important in the Psalms, and they are important to God. So as followers of God, let's lift up people. That's our first point. Our second point for tonight Followers of God must live righteously by lifting up the Lord. Lift up the Lord. In other words, don't put sin above God. You know, By lifting up the Lord, I mean that we need to honor him and fear him because he is God. Right? He is holy. And part of honoring a holy God is loving what he loves and hating what he hates. Look at verse 4 in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. When it talks about a vile person, literally it's talking about someone who is rejected. You know, someone who doesn't belong with God because he or she has turned away from God and has followed sin. 
when a godly man or woman despises a vile person, it's saying, I am not going to follow that way, the way of sin. I'm not going to turn away from God. Instead, I'm going to honor God and, and fear him. I'm going to respect him and be in awe of him. Right? So yeah, try to imagine maybe two different paths, two choices in front of you, two ways to live. Most people are, are choosing the path that rejects and leads away from God. They're saying this way is better. You know, it's easier. It's more comfortable. It's pleasurable. But then there is another path. There are other people who respect God and want to live with him. And they're saying, this way is better. And I think we have to be careful, right? Like for you guys, oh, I want to follow that path. I want to follow God's path. But when you guys go to school, when you interact with your friends and you watch TV and the shows and the movies that you watch, everything that you encounter in life, they're all teaching you about the world and about God about which path leads to life, about what, you, what to worship. And if we're not careful about the things that we look at, the things that we fix our eyes on, we end up honoring the people who reject God. And we end up despising the Lord. And it, it's very subtle. So, so I wonder for you, what do you guys spend time watching and learning from? You know, think about the people that you spend time with Think of the people that you're always looking at. If you're on social media, you know, when you're, if you're always on YouTube, the, the things that you're watching for entertainment, what are they teaching your heart to honor? To honor sin and selfishness or to honor God? Do they lift up the world or do they lift up the Lord? Again, I think without even knowing it, we're, influenced by the people that we surround ourselves with. Do you guys have friends that you respect so much? You know, you, I don't know why, but you just, for some reason you admire them, you respect them and you look up to what they think and how they feel about something. And it influences how you think and feel about those things, right? You naturally strive to be more like the people that you like. And you start to say things and you act like them. You become the company that you keep. So the question is, are you surrounding yourself with people who fear the Lord and who live for him? And if you're honest with yourself, are those the people that you really want to be like? Do you have good examples of what it means to live well for God? Not that, maybe think about people here at, at church, you know, are there people that you can say, oh, they're good examples of what I want my life to be. Not that their lives are, are perfect ever, right? But they can show you what it means to delight in God. They can show you what it means to struggle well, to fight sin, to, to live for others. And again, this is important because if you are a follower of Christ, it means that you, you, you live like Christ. You enjoy life with him and his people. And so, I mean, for, for myself, I can say it's, this is so hard to do when you're not looking at the right things, right? As, as believers, we're not meant to live our Christian lives alone. 
And so be, surround yourselves with, with people that you can, you can look up to. When people look at you and, and the way that you act and talk, do, do you think that they can tell that you, you know, can they tell that you follow Christ? I guess I, I kind of want to flip the tables. When people look at you, are, are you a good example for others? Right? Yeah, it's because it, as you grow, you should look more and more like your father in heaven in the way that you love people, in the way that you fear God. There should be a willingness to see things as God sees them. Because a genuine believer lives in a way that says, God, you're God, right? And you are holy and you're the one who sets the standard in how I evaluate sin. There should be a desire to think the way that God thinks and feel the way that God feels. That if God honors something as righteous and good, then I'll honor it. And if God rejects something as sin, then I'll reject it as well. David says in Psalm 139, 21 and 22, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. So it's like, is your heart like parallel with God? You know, does your God look like, does your heart look like God's? And for David, David thinks so highly of God. He has this heart of reverence and awe and fear of God that he starts to see what God sees. I remember back when I was in, in middle school, um, there was this popular phrase. I don't know if it's popular or maybe if you've heard of it at all, but what would Jesus do? You know, WWJD. It became really popular in, in different churches. Um, actually, that phrase, what would Jesus do, first became popular in the U.S. in the late 1800s when a guy named uh, Charles Sheldon published a book called In His Steps. And yeah, what would Jesus do? But when I was young, it became popular again, and I had a bracelet and everything. It said WWJD. You know, and the idea was that whenever we make a decision, you should ask yourself first, what would Jesus do? You know, that if you love God, you should always consider the things that he loves and he hates. And this would be a guide in our decision-making. And eventually, though, the, the popularity of WWJD died out, I stopped wearing my bracelet and eventually it got tossed away when I decluttered my room. But really the, the idea behind that phrase, what would Jesus do? It, it's a good one, right? Not just as a way to, for us to make decisions, but as a means to honor God, to make him first in our lives. And that means aligning our hearts with his. So for yourself, do, do you want to align your heart with God's? When it comes to the things that he approves or rejects, do you love the things that he loves? You know, or do you just go through life obeying your own heart, right? And, and you justify the things that you do because you want them. Like when you talk with your parents, I want this, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it no matter what. And maybe the things that they, they never see, but God sees. So we have to be careful, I think, because scripture warns that true followers of God are those who actually fear him. So let's strive to hate evil and sin and instead live to honor God. This is not to say that 
we will live perfectly while we're here in this broken world, but we have to fight sin in our lives, right? For you guys, um, do you fight to fill your life with things that are good and righteous and pleasing to God? Like how much time do you spend with God and the word and and prayer um, and with your brothers and sisters who are following him? Um, and, And I hope that you guys will grow in this area, not only to lift up people, but to lift up the Lord in your heart and honor the things that honors him. And that brings us to our last point for tonight. As a follower of God, you must live righteously by lowering yourself, lower yourself. In other words, don't put yourself above others. Look at the last part of verse four through verse five. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. These verses give us another picture of what it means to live righteously. First, it says that the righteous person swears to his own hurt and does not change. The righteous person, in other words, is true to his or her word, even when they lose out, even when it hurts them. They are people of integrity Put other people first. Have you guys ever made a promise to your family members or friends and and you realize later that it was harder? Maybe it's a bigger sacrifice than you thought. Um, As an example, I I promise to help with the dishes. I I promise to help my younger, with my younger siblings. I promise to do this or that. You know, if if I get something as a reward. I think no one has any problems keeping his word when he's benefiting and it's to his advantage. But imagine when there's a greater cost. Would you take a loss by doing what you promised, right? Um, A silly example of this is when two people make a wager for a, a sports game or like any game. Like if there is some consequence if your team loses, I remember uh, five or six years ago, uh, a friend from Lighthouse, um, I won't say his name, but I think he made a wager for fun that if he loses, he would have to wear the colors cardinal and gold to church instead of the nicer combo of blue and gold, you know, and it turns out that he lost the wager. And so what, what was he to do, right? He kept his word. I was joking, by the way. I hope that didn't, wasn't offensive to anyone. But this person kept his word even at a loss to self so that he can, you know, love and entertain people. Right? And maybe that's not the best example. You guys are like, I don't get it. But I hope you kind of get the point that our integrity matters. Right? As believers, we're called to lay down our pride and our own comforts for the sake of others. And the question isn't just, does your word mean anything? But are you willing to lower yourself and to love and sacrifice for others? The righteous follower of God will keep their word even at the cost of self. And this is not an encouragement for you, by the way, to make and keep promises that are obviously sinful. Okay, like when you're mad at someone and you say, I swear I'm gonna, you know, not that kind of a promise, right? But would it's, a willingness to, to keep your word if it actually benefits others, right? 
again, think about your family and your friendships and your interactions at school. Just the commitments we make to people, the way that you live your life. Is it a picture of putting others first instead of yourself? It's similar to how the Apostle Paul uh, encourages uh, the church in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Again, there, there's a, a sacrificial nature to love for the good of others. There's a humility and a selflessness that doesn't take advantage of others. Verse five, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. You know, some people can, can take the first part of, of the verse to mean that Christians should never make a profit ever or charge interest. And, and that's not really the focus here. When we read the books of, of the law in, in the Old Testament, we find that when God tells his people not to charge interest, it was, there was a purpose to it. It was specifically to protect the poor. Like in Exodus 22, 25, if you lend money to any of my people with, with you who is poor, you shall not l- be like a money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. So try to understand God's heart here, okay? God's heart is for those who are in great need. And back then, imagine in biblical times, there were those who, who needed to borrow stuff. You know, but we can't really picture it's like consumer lending. They weren't borrowing for a new car. In their day and time, they were borrowing because the crops failed and their family and their tribes were, were desperate. And God was saying that rich people and, you know, people who, um, people in their community and their spiritual family who had enough should not take advantage of those who are needy, who are poor and in need of borrowing to survive. So the principle here is that a godly person, a follower of Christ, doesn't use his or her position and power and wealth to take advantage of others. He, he looks outward. And I know for, your, for yourself, maybe you're thinking, oh, I don't have power or wealth, but are you generous? Are you, you know, helping others without, um, without wanting things in return, right? It's, um, there's an outward look to it. He, you, you put people before material things. Not only that, in our passage, he doesn't take a bribe against the innocent. It's living a life that is focused on others instead of self. And I think oftentimes when we're with other people, when you guys, you know, are with, uh, you're at school and with your, again, your family and your friends, when you're at home with family, when you're with your siblings, or when you're here in youth group, right? Oftentimes we think about what's best for ourselves. We think without even realizing it. The decisions that I make, does it benefit me? My time, my comfort, my goals, my, my rights. This is what the world teaches us to value and that we are to fight for ourselves, for our freedoms. But the calling in scripture for followers of Christ goes against this. It's about giving up our liberties and our comforts and our resources for other people. So maybe think about simple ways that you can apply this 
in your life? How can you use what God has given you, not just to, the, to benefit you, but for other people's good? You know, we have to make decisions and keep our word and sacrifice based on what's best for people and what is most honoring to God. So my hope for us tonight is that we would just have a better picture, a better kind of attitude and life of, of how we should be living as Christians. When you think about the different areas of your life that we talked about tonight, your, your family life, your school life, your workload, your social life, even your thought life and the things that go on in your heart, how are you lifting up and honoring God and people and how are you humbling yourself? I'm reminded of John 3.30 when John Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Remember that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, it's a life that says to the world that my life, it's not my own, right? But I'm living for something greater. I have a greater home. I have a greater hope, a greater love that I'm living for. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And as as we come to a close, that's my prayer for all of us and and for you guys. You guys are so young, you know, as, as young as you are, I hope that you'll start early and practice a life that focuses outward. I hope that you guys kind of develop this habit of looking outwards instead of inwards. It's not just about living for for me, right? How can I love God and people instead of looking for what's in it for me? What would life be like for each of us if we truly lived to lift up people, to lift up the Lord and lower self? And I don't mean just on Sundays, but throughout the week, You know, when you guys are at home, whether or not people see you, that you would be genuine in your faith and that you would be known by the way that you love God and you love others. I think when we live in this way for the Lord, it's actually when we experience the joy and the stability of of living for God, even when you go through suffering and struggles of life. And I like how David ends the psalm with this promise. It says, He who does these things shall never be moved. He who does these things shall never be moved. Can you imagine a life like that, right? A life that secure where you're never moved. Not that you're not affected or don't have any problems, but you're not shaken. You're not fearful. Whatever comes your way, you're steadfast because you know who is with you. And maybe some of you guys have a lot of fears in life. And I just want to encourage you, you know, this kind of security happens only when you are living for God instead of yourself. When you're looking to him as your destination and your goal, and you're secure when you know that he is your home and he's taking care of your eternity. So remember that the purpose of our lives is to live with God forever. So brothers and sisters, let's live for that. Let's live righteous lives for God, not for ourselves but that we would live in a way that honors and lifts up God and people. Let's pray together. 
Father, we just want to thank you for your word. God, for the reminder of what the Christian life is about. And I know, Lord, for, for my young brothers and sisters here, um, Lord, you know um, the life that they lived and, and the life that is before them. And I pray, God, that they would strive to, um, to really look outward, to look at how they can love you and how they can love others, even at the cost of self. And I, and I pray, Father, that they would live not for this world, but that they would truly live their lives for you, that you are their home, that they are running this race for you as their prize. And Father, I pray that they would be secure in that because you are better, Lord. You are better than live, the things that we live for, for ourselves here. So bless, bless everyone here, God. Thank you for their, their, their lives and their willingness to, to look at your word. And I pray, God, that their lives would just be honoring and glorifying to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.